Chapter Nineteen of Thou Art the Man. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Thou Art the Man by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. Chapter Nineteen. Coralie's Journal, for paternal inspection. My dear aunt has certainly become an altered woman within the last week. She, who was lately calm as a statue, composed, dignified, moving with queen-like motion through life that seemed to have lost all interest for her, now looks like a woman whose every nerve is strung to highest tension, whose delicate frame vibrates with suppressed energy. This sudden change from snow to fire interests me more than I can say. I take as much delight in trying to thread the mystery of this wonderful woman's mind as an enthusiastic pianist can feel in unraveling the web of a Beethoven sonata or a crabbed composition by Sebastian Bach. My whole mind is bent upon finding the secret springs of her action. Those inquiries among the cottagers at Cargill had assuredly something to do with the matter that so absorbs her. Not for nothing would she have been so keenly interested in a casual wayfarer, not for mere charity, were she as charitable as that St. Helena about whom Mr. Coverdale told me some fairy tales yesterday evening across the billiard-table. One of the symptoms of this transformation in Lady Penrith is her obvious desire to escape my companionship in her drives. I know you prefer going with the shooters, Cora. On three separate mornings, and thus instigated, I have gone with the shooters, for the honourable and reverend John is game worth stocking, and he is not so keen a sportsman as the other men. Indeed, no sportsman at all. I contrive to enjoy a good deal of his society, and I am getting as familiar with the romance of medieval saintliness in Rome and in the East as I am with the characters in Balzac's novels pleasant as it is however to tramp over brown heather and bracken and to tear my pretty tweed frock among the firs bushes in this enlightening society yet the very fact of her ladyship not wanting me has determined me to force my company upon her so yesterday i met her usual remark about the shooters with a flat refusal I am not going with them ever again, aunt, or, at any rate, not for ages, I answered. I dare say they are tired of me, and I know I am tired of them. All my sympathy is with the innocent birds they massacre, and why should I put myself in the way of having my feelings harrowed? Why, indeed, said my uncle, a remark I might have anticipated from him. I spoke with some soreness of feeling, for in all that tramping over the lumpy moor, and in all those prosy legends of impossible saints, 
the reverend john has not committed himself to the faintest expression of admiration for me the sinner i am as far from the hope of winning his saintly affections as when i played my first game of billiards with him no aunt no more long days with the guns for me said i if i don't bore you too much i should like to share your drive this afternoon of course you don't bore me cora but my aunt's reluctance expressed itself so strongly in that monosyllable as to attract my uncle's attention he looked at the speaker suddenly with keen cold eyes no doubt your aunt will be very glad to have you he said she must want your society in those dreary drives of hers more than we do except at luncheon put in reggie mountford a callow subaltern at the grenadiers one of lady penrith's innumerable nephews we should miss you awfully with a lunch cart you say such awfully good things regular rowdy things oh you needn't stare mr coverdale the best things she says go over your head but villers and i are in the know ain't we vill mr villers who might be this flippant brat's grandfather assented with a nod i felt that i had sunk fathoms deep in the estimation of the churchman and i had the pleasure of hearing my uncle's scornful laugh as he rose from the breakfast-table with a muttered my niece is her father's daughter after luncheon lady penrith informed me rather coldly that she was going to ellerslie for a business interview with her land steward and general adviser mr orlebar whom i have heard you speak of not too admiringly she warned me that i would have a very dull afternoon as she might be engaged for a long time i assured her that my delight in seeing the house in which she was born and brought up would make dullness out of the question she was right however i endured an afternoon of inexorable dreariness since the amusement to be found in prowling about a great empty house and trying her ladyship's piano was exhausted in about twenty minutes and then i had nothing to do but roam in the autumnal garden count the chrysanthemums and think over that odious young mountfort's impertinence my regular rowdy speeches forsooth what is the use of having a sharp wit which seizes the ludicrous aspect of everything i fear i have been a little weak in letting him talk of french novels and sensational cases in the divorce court before me and putting in my pert little tongue occasionally but what can one talk of in this end of the country if not sensational cases when every new case goes beyond the old ones in sensational elements there is a feeling in the air as if it were not the end of the century but the end of the world i wandered about solitary and disconsolate thinking only of the unpleasantest things 
and without so much as a cup of tea whatever the housekeeper was doing she was too busy to think of poor me it was past six o'clock when lady penrith came to me in the drawing-room where i was trying to hammer out one of the mazurkas of chopin's which had been hammered into me at madame michon's and which i now only remember in shreds and patches the arts have not been propitious in my case my musical education was a lamentable failure and i was never able to produce the stiff chalk drawing which every pupil at madame michon's was supposed to execute with the aid of breadcrumbs and a patient master yet i think for mere brains i might pit myself against most of those underbred girls who used to sneer at my shabby frocks lady penrith looked ill and miserable when she re rejoined me after her two hours conversation with her man of business if their talk had been solely of money matters one might suppose her on the brink of ruin but i don't believe financial cares had anything to do with her low spirits she scarcely spoke to me in the drive home and she did not appear at dinner that evening we were informed before dinner that her ladyship was suffering from a neuralgic headache and keeping quiet in her own rooms the maiden aunt lady selina mountford a portentous person in a point lace hood like juliet's nurse had arrived while we were out and i spent a dismal evening in the shadow of her respectability and not daring to propose an adjournment to the billiard-room although that impertinent young guardsman asked me to join him in a game of pool you can play to me miss urquhart while i work lady selina said curtly with a glance at the open piano thank you i don't play replied i as curtly as she indeed i thought every young lady nowadays was a good pianist there are quite enough of them to make the piano a nuisance but i happen to be an exception i retorted feeling every nerve set on edge by this horrid old woman in a shabby red velvet gown ensconced in the most comfortable chair my own pet chair by the great medieval fireplace where rampant brass lions guard a wrought-iron basket of blazing ship's timber which casts an uncanny green and blue light on people's faces surrounded as we are with coal pits i need hardly mention that it is the correct thing in gentlemen's house houses to burn nothing but logs lady selina settled down to a piece of the ugliest fancy work i ever remember seeing a coarse olive-green blanket into which she laboriously dug a huge carpet-needle laden with orange worsted it was just such a piece of work as one of the african chief's hundred wives might have chosen for the amusement of her leisure hours altogether hideous 
and savage perhaps that idea sent my random thoughts in a particular direction this detestable old woman is a mountford i said to myself she must know something about brandon mountford who wrote the african book at any rate there would be some fun in questioning her i think you had an african traveller among your relations some years ago lady selina said i squatting on a stool at her feet as if i loved her most young men travel in africa nowadays she answered it is part of a liberal education a troubled look had come into her face and i could see that she was shuffling with me ah but you must know all about this one a mr brandon mountford who wrote a book of travels do tell me something about him there is nothing to tell except that he was a distant relation of mine and that he died many years ago did he die in africa no oh her manner was so forbidding that i dared not ask another question she dug her skewer into the green surge oh such a bilious colour as if she would like to dig it into me she looked like a witch with the blue and green flames reflected upon her red gown a horrible lurid figure a horrible blue-green face there is evidently some tragic story to be told about brandon mountford some misfortune or even disgrace which involves lady penrith i dare say you know all about it and will grin when you read this diary but when we next meet i shall insist upon your telling me all you know i might question the maid who dresses me and who is most likely to be posted in all scandals affecting the family but i make it a rule of my life never to be confidential with the servants it doesn't pay the poorer one is the more uppish one ought to be this morning lady penrith reappeared none the worse for yesterday's headache after breakfast she informed lady selina that the barouche would be at her disposal for the morning or the afternoon as she might prefer and i would go with her cora is fond of driving she said but i hope you'll come too aunt said i not to-day cora my aunt will excuse me i'm going to see some people beyond ardliston but we could drive all that way i suggested it would not be worth while i should keep you waiting too long you can take lady selina round by hanborough point lady selina protested that she adored the scenery around colander castle so wild so deliciously bleak and barren so unlike berkshire where she had just been staying with mrs tilbury st george another niece as the days were growing short she preferred driving in the morning she told me 
told me off to sit and talk twaddle with this odious spencer who entertained me with an endless web of prosiness about her quarrel with mrs tilbury st george's maid who had waited on her lady selina during her own maid's holiday and had been guilty of various offences against the ancient spinster's dignity and had never brought her morning tea before eight o'clock my niece is a fine horsewoman and hunts four days a week concluded lady selina so one can't be surprised that there is laxity in her household she notices the slightest shortcomings in the stables but permits chaos in her house at luncheon lady penrith looked preoccupied and excited she left the table with an apology before her aunt had finished nibbling a bannock with her cheese and five minutes afterwards i heard her light pony cart drive away more inquiries i suppose and farther afield i was not to be beaten as easily as her ladyship thought i determined on a skirmishing round in the direction of lady penrith beyond ardliston there are two or three poor little villages within a mile or so of that wretched place i might gain upon the carriage by a short cut across the moor and contrive to meet her ladyship in a guileless unpremeditated way those long tramps with the shooters if they have been no other gain to me i have at least enjoyed being a good walker i am in training for twenty miles a day six or seven miles across the moor are nothing to me and then what a blessing to escape from lady selina who had established herself again in my favourite chair by the drawing-room fire by the drawing-room fire olive green tapestry and all en regla not a word said i to this medusa lest she should offer to accompany me for those active busybodyish old women can sometimes walk as well as the youngest i slipped out of the drawing-room found a hat and jacket in the hall and started off at a good four miles an hour across the hills to ardliston where i arrived just in time to see her ladyship's pony carriage disappear over the crest of a further hill in the direction of allen bay on one side of the bay there is a miserable concatenation of fishermen's huts and a churchyard with two old wind-blown firs gaunt and distorted their great bent arms curving inward as if beckoning the dead from the depths of the sea come here and rest in the calm quiet earth they seem to say don't laugh at this dropping into poetry on my part i am only quoting the reverend john who showed me a watercolour drawing he had made of the churchyard and fir trees 
and confided his sentimental notion about those wind-warped branches. He has all the accomplishments. Paints charmingly, fiddles a little, knows Beethoven and Mar Mozart as well as I know Balzac and Dumas, and hangs enraptured over Lady Penrith's piano whenever she condescends to play to us poor creatures in the drawing-room which is not often she prefers communicating with the spirit of melancholy in the seclusion of her morning-room that village over the hill st jude's is the wretched hole's name is a good seven miles from ardliston it was useless for me to attempt to follow lady penrith's carriage so i crossed the moor again and walked slowly back not altogether baffled for i had at least discovered the direction of her ladyship's drives end of chapter nineteen